For the list here. Yes, we do have a lot of topics to go over, starting with our comprehensive livestock outlook for 2022 and into 2023. Uh, we'll start that with Nick Anderson, who is our livestock development group. Nick, you have the floor, sir. Well, put the pressure on me and cut me off if I start lingering. Uh, there's a lot going on in the marketplace, and if you think uh, the livestock group that I work with, you know, our goal is to grow and keep the livestock industry in all sectors profitable throughout the state. So uh, the last two years has really kind of put a hamper on, you know, a vision for farmers to see what's out there. And everybody sitting around this table has some effect into that relationship, whether it be the lender or the crop side that we can anticipate if we have enough feed. So all those uncertainties are on the table. However, one theme in the market too that is not uncertain, it's very positive, is that manure is now worth twice what it was a year ago. And that rarely happens. So if you think about input costs, there is some shining light and it happens to be manure, uh, jokingly aside. But in reality, it's pretty important because that resource is renewable for us in the livestock business. But a lot of our work here is with pork, beef, dairy, and poultry in the state, and a lot of issues surround that. But from my aspect, when we grow the livestock industry, cost of production, cost of building new, and we've been fortunate over the years, interest has kind of been stable. That's been a shiny light. That's about to change. You know, labor is still going to be an issue, whether it's yourself on farm labor or you have to go out and get that. And this building cost is up 40%. And the way we structure livestock business, today, at least on the commercial side, uh, it's highly dependent on, you know, what does it cost us to raise that pound of protein that the world demand is out there. And, and the fear in the marketplace, in the U.S. anyway, is that world demand is out there. And if we don't take advantage of it or we aren't able to do that because of policy or, or cost or whatever, there are people in Brazil and China and other places in the same predicament we are, and they're going to pull the trigger uh, about the same time, our shining light is we're pretty efficient, we're pretty good at what we do, and we've got to uh, expound on that. But really, cost of, of construction has hindered some new projects in the state. We've It's reflected in the Livestock Management Facilities Act that I talked to Wendell a little bit. That's a legislative issue, and, and you know, it's been a law that's been in place that gives us a license to operate in the state. Every year, there's there's challenges to that. They want to put new uh, burdens on us in livestock and do that. Uh, I told Wendell, I don't know how the foresight some 30 years ago uh, could write a law that was so comprehensive that it's still very viable and works today. And the issues surrounding the not in my backyard type of thing that not, not only exists with livestock, but windmills or solar or whatever it might be, just change the word. Uh, we've got a statewide law that uh, allows us to follow a set of rules that's pretty straightforward. Even though political climates might change, there's always going to be those challenges, much like Proposition 12 or those things on how we produce livestock. We've got a great track record here in Illinois in the Midwest, and that law allows us to do that, but we have to keep abreast of those changes. And then I know I talked to Vanessa a little bit, uh, health issues with animals, and right now avian flu's kind of on the ballot. It's It's got the headlines now. Uh, 
there's some things we can talk about that and we can get into that into some discussions but animal health in general and and AFS with African swine fever and some of those things happening in other markets and when that happens in those markets it impacts our market and if we're susceptible to those we could be limited on how we market our animals and avian flu is the same thing uh, we've learned a lot the last couple of years with that and how to approach it a strategy to eradicate it or stop it from spreading but uh, it's reared its ugly head this spring and and I don't know if it has peaked yet uh, we've seen a couple cases here in Illinois not major but the other larger poultry producing states have seen some impact and over the weekend a couple outbreaks in Iowa so it hasn't stopped yet but uh, there's a few things we could dive into on avian flu but uh, still some cases happening and uh, if we can isolate them we don't want to impact our, our export market poultry is a big export number like the other species but uh, things are very fragile right now uh, we're dependent on that export market the unrest uncertainty uh, in the marketplace uh, we're coming off a record exports for pork and beef uh, just amazing that we've got more beef going into China than we've ever had in our entire history uh, that's a good thing but we're vulnerable in that market and if there's an unrest in the in the whether it's transportation or political unrest that's going to stop that it can be pretty impactful I see the hog markets up today pretty substantially we've seen some of the market respond to increased production costs increased corn uh, I want an answer from one of these grain guys what our actual acres are going to be because that helps us understand if we're going to have availability of, of corn and soybean meal to market into our animals but that added cost is going to come to us eventually even though we have higher prices and the consumer uh, it's going to be passed along there at some point and we think about food insecurity and we've seen some stories on headlines of supply demand in grocery stores uh, that's not over yet and sometimes it looks like it's used as a crutch to have higher prices occasionally but uh, it's really about getting our product from the farm to the processor and here in Monmouth that's pretty important with the packing plant that we have here uh, but uh, those are some of the issues I think we could spend some time on each one of those things pretty indefinitely but as a snapshot still some uncertainty and I will tell you any farmer whatever they do in life if you can take uncertainty out of the marketplace and you can create that vision to say we can do this in the next five ten years and see that vision we can get through it our trouble is this immediate back and forth pull the lever back so fast that we can't adapt to it uh, we will adapt to these changes in the future I, I'm confident but just to get through that pain of uncertainty is going to take a little bit and we need a lot more clarity in the marketplace and from our politicians so we can make good long-lasting farming decisions like we've done for a long time Dan Bowman uh, Nick mentioned the number of acres could you help us understand that uh, sure, I can try. It's a guess at this point in time. Um, that report will come out at the end of March here uh, on the acreage intentions out of USDA. Right now, trade guesses say about 92 million acres of corn will be planted versus 93.4 last year, and just shy of 88 million uh, bean acres will be planted, uh, which is up from 87.2 the previous year. Um, both numbers are moving targets at this point in time. Uh, I would say, you know, high prices. Uh, 
generally lend support to even higher acres than that and, and USDA has has been somewhat uh, uh, consistent with that type of a, a thought process as well so I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, those acres bounce up I, I think at one point in time the bean acres were increasing at a faster pace than corn but I think uh, in the last month or so corn uh, market has caught up to that to that fact so um, again I think you'll see an overall increase in acres you know one thing that uh, we don't deal with around here a lot but the south uh, has been growing a lot more corn recently uh, and cotton uh, prices have probably stepped into that equation a little bit too and in, in robbing acres in the south to go to cotton this year versus corn or beans okay Mike Borjic uh, with Illinois Pork Producers. Your comprehensive outlook on pork. How much pork uh, do we actually manage in this state? Is it growing? Uh, and, and is it still individual farmers who own it? Or are we seeing larger companies and corporations potentially looking to be a part of it? Well, and, uh, we raise... Well, actually, we have a quarterly hogs and pigs report coming out here at the end of this month as well. Um, but we'll be uh, right around 15, 16 million uh, head is raised here in Illinois. We're ranked fourth in the nation on that. Um, so, so we're doing pretty well. We raise a lot of pigs in this state. Uh, as far as our, our outlook uh, as, as an industry, like I said, we'll have that uh, report come out here later this month. As an industry, we're looking at less hog numbers um, within the this projection uh, for so our inventory is going down uh, as far as number of sows. Um, now we're raising more pigs per sow uh, throughout the whole process, but uh, we are seeing less sows, and so we're not seeing much growth within the industry. And that's a variety of factors. One of them that Nick pr brought up is that the building costs are up 40% than what they used to be. Um, but what we're really seeing is good demand for the pork product. Uh, you know, if you look for silver linings when it comes to the pandemic and things like that. We had people that were buying more pork at the grocery stores and we're seeing that trend continue even though restaurants have started opening back up over the last year or so. So that's a good outlook for us is that people are still buying pork in the grocery stores, taking it home and fixing it there. So that's another market for us to make sure that we're a part of. Um, future outlook. Uh, we have uh, the opportunity for growth here in the industry once we, again, all the uncertainty is what's keeping people from, from pulling that trigger uh, when it comes to raising uh, or increasing the size of the herd here in Illinois. But um, I, I do believe that we have the opportunities there. There's a worldwide protein shortage and um, we're, very, we're very good at raising pigs, we're very good at raising livestock in, in the United States. So I feel like we have the opportunity to increase uh, that uh, efficiency and uh, increase our market share. Of course, the, the fear would be um, something on uh, a political side or maybe a uh, foreign animal disease that would come in that would shut off those trade markets. Um, but that is something that uh, you know we, we're preparing for or uh, mm -hmm. trying to make it as easy as possible if something were to happen. You look at weekly hog numbers slaughtered under federal inspection, it's about 100,000 fewer each week compared to last year. So at a 210 pound carcass, that's 21 million pounds of pork fewer each week into the marketplace than, than there was just last year. So uh, supportive, I imagine, for, for prices, but you know, does it, 
Is it long-term enough? Is it something we think about expanding? Like Nick, you mentioned growing livestock industries and so many challenges, right? You mentioned labor, not to mention price of steel, price of lumber, you know, availability of products if you wanted to build a barn or something like that right now that at least short-term, you think about growing the industry, it's awfully challenging right now, isn't it? And you mentioned the, the, the numbers are lower now as far as uh, pigs harvested per week. Well, those have never, those are the number of been bouncing back. Um, I mean, when we had the shutdowns and everything, you know, those were significantly lower. Um, luckily, here in Illinois, we didn't see as big of an issue with that as other states did. Um, you know, had to had to put down more pigs because they just couldn't get into the markets. But we were lucky here in Illinois. Um, because most of our plants were able to stay open or at least maybe not be 100%, which they're still not at 100% from what they used to be, but um, they were able to at least stay open and still uh, uh, harvest those animals. So we are bouncing back and, and right now it's more of a question of the labor. Um, you know, some of these processors are, they only can process so many per day and they don't know what that's gonna be until they find out who shows up to work that morning. Uh, so mm. that, that right there just shows the, the amount of uncertainty. So you may expect, okay, I got four loads going in today. They call you up at six o'clock in the morning and said, no, we can only take two. Well, now you got to figure out what's going to happen. Uh, I mean, obviously you prepare um, because you're getting, you know, you, uh, your, your feed diets and everything else, you're trying to clean out your bins before all those pigs leave. But if you end up having to keep them for another week or so, you got to feed those pigs, so okay, now I got to call my my feed mill, or I got to fire up the feed mill and get stuff going, so I got something to feed these pigs for the next week or so, because you don't know when those loads are actually going to get in. Now we still have that issue every once in a while, but luckily we're getting better at it and getting more predictable. There's another load coming too, right? There's another load of feeder pigs that's going to come from somewhere that needs that space, and all of a sudden, now that space is occupied longer than you thought it was yeah, going to be. Is what, this is what we had to deal with, I mean, on a much larger mm -hmm. scale, you know, now it's just a few loads here and there uh, throughout the day, but, you know, when we had those plant shutdowns, it was happening all over the state trying to move these animals. Um, we did, as an industry, uh, during that time frame, uh, develop feed rations that could basically stop the growth of pigs. Uh, so they still stay healthy, they still maintain their weight, but they don't grow. Um, which you know helps, but of course that increased the cost for the farmer that's out there trying to raise these, uh, you know, raise these animals. So it's something that um, we don't want to do, but it is we do have the ability to do it. Um, but then we also had the same. Pr we had a problem when uh, plants started opening back up again, and you had to take them off that that hold ration and put them onto a growth ration again. They didn't want to fire. It was like starting up a cold engine. They didn't want to fire up right away. They had to. It took them a little bit to get back up to uh, that that efficiency that they had before. Interesting, Wendell. There's an example of American farmers' in ingenuity. I had not heard of that, that, that you could, and you know, what you're trying to hold them is either you're gonna hold them or you're gonna have to slaughter them and just, and just kill them. So creative, I had not heard that. That was amazing. Ingenuity on the fly, you know. What, what, what are we gonna do here? And uh, time's a wasted, so yeah. Uh, very in ingenuitive, what, what, I don't know what the word is, ingenious? I don't know, but. <laughs> but very much so. Krista, do you guys write about these aspects as well with your ag research uh, policy at uh, the Gardner Ag Research, you know, what you do for, for specialists? Well, we do sometimes get into some of the livestock issues. We tend to focus more on the crop end of things uh -huh. and especially um, 
we are actually currently working, the department is hiring a few new people um, currently in, in the process of doing that. We've been a little short staffed over the past few years um, due to hiring freezes and, and that sort of thing. So anyway, I think once we get a few new people on board in the department, hopefully we can expand more again um, back into the livestock area. Um, for now, we sometimes hit on things like when African swine fever was going, we kind of talk a little bit about the policy end and um, kind of the flow through impacts. But anyway, that's an area we need to, to dive into a little deeper. Hey, Troy Kazire, in, in Friday's Ag Roundtable, we learned that uh, China is trying to be uh, a bit more sustainable uh, as they've made it through the African swine fever. And that, that could be concerning for as an export market. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you know, the, and and that's that's something that we got to keep in mind through all of this is when you look at, you know, Brazil is stepping up to to fill some of those gaps um, that that were created with when when some of these issues with China uh, arose, and then of course you know with COVID and supply chain issues, uh, it, it's really thrown a monkey wrench into all that. But China is playing, they're playing the long game with with. Uh, almost everything that they do. They're looking years down the road. They're trying to get themselves established to be as self-sufficient as they can be. Um, and, and you know, it's it's really a China-first policy all the way through. So um, absolutely anything, you know, the moves that they make are going to have direct impact on our markets, uh, no question. Chris, uh, Gavin, you've heard the livestock gentleman speaking about the costs, uh, but it didn't seem to impact the lending industry that that seemed because interest rates were so low would that be accurate yeah interest rates have been low for for quite some time now uh historically low and, and that was expected to continue um for for several years until until what's happened lately with the inflation side with covid and now ukraine okay Dan, with uh, it, let's take a peek at Ukraine for a second. Um, when we look at the markets and the projections, obviously we have no idea what will happen with crops in Ukraine. We can sort of expect not to. I mean, would we say we may not have crops in general from at least wheat, sunflowers, things like that? Uh, I think you have two different stories there. You, you have an old crop situation where there's there is actual inventory there that's trapped and, and can't get out of that country or won't get out of that country in a timely fashion, at least, and and to some degree Russia as well uh, with their efforts um, on the offensive side from that perspective, maybe taking labor away from from some of their export programs. Um, so you, so you have that situation which. Um, in best guesses, market terms-wise, is a little over 500 million bushels of corn, uh, specifically, which which seems to be the most uh, critical of crops at this point in time in the world market. So, uh, somebody has to step up and and uh, be that market that supplies the corn, or we have to find alternatives uh, to replace that corn uh, on the demand side. And and I think we're doing both from that perspective, uh, but certainly been the main driver in the corn market and and we have recently seen a, a large uptick in corn exports out of the US as well so um, then the next side of that equation is is in fact the new crop production side again I mentioned it earlier that uh, you know the winter wheat crop is 
coming out of dormancy in time to, to feed it with nitrogen uh, likely will be limited in, in supply or, or possibilities of, of the, the limited labor to do it from that perspective or transportation, logistics, whatever it might be to take care of that crop and then again uh, to get the, the new crop corn planted. Uh, it is, you know, from a production standpoint, um, it's similar in size to Illinois and Iowa from, from what I gather in, in total production. Um, so, so, I mean, it's substantial. Um, it feels like, uh, you know, the trade guesses are anywhere from 20 to 40% of that corn crop will likely not get planted. Um, and then the, the remainder is, will it get planted timely? Will, will they have the fuel to do it? Will they have the labor to do it? Will they have the fertilizer to, to be as good of a crop as it can be over time? Wendell? Well, then, then on the logistics end of it, the grain they have there, they can't get out. <clears throat> the ship, ships aren't going to go into the Black Sea. Uh, it's just too much risk. Uh, the last I heard, the, the ships were required. If you wanted to insure a ship and send it in there to try and get, get some wheat out of there, the, the insurance was going to be a million dollars. And that's if you could find somebody even willing to go in there, because you don't know if Russia's going to turn around and lob a shell at you just to send a message to the world that you aren't, you aren't helping the Ukraine in any way, shape, or form. Um, you also got the, the issue of that Russian wheat largely goes, stay, a lot of it stays in the area. So now you've got Egypt, uh, a lot of the countries in, in uh, Africa, that's that's where they get the, their source of, of bread, the wheat to, that's going to feed them. So now you've got a lot of people really concerned and, and people worldwide wondering, is there going to be uh, starvation out there? Where, what's the alternatives? They're poor, in many cases, they're poor countries anyway, and rising prices are, are really creating a, an extra extra problem there for, for governments as far as trying to keep our people fed and happy. Uh, it's It's a real mess. And Nick, earlier you spoke about soy meal and in relation to livestock. We learned Friday, too, that we can identify the potential to use um, corn that's already, uh, um, we can use it towards more ethanol uh, for energy policies or to help with energy policies. Instead of all electric vehicles, there's particular engine sizes or a type of engine, rather, that we could utilize or possibly E10 to E15. And then we learned also that um, the soy meal is being used for, for biodiesel. So Wendell, uh, you and Nick, both your comments on, we have a potential of maybe not an emerging market here, but an emerging market on U.S. ground if we decide to go in that direction. So uh, ethanol and biofuels have kind of, since they started, were issues on the livestock side. Are they taking uh, that product that we could use? Now, the great thing about both those products of soy oil and ethanol, the byproduct is like DDGs, gluten that can go to cattle feed. We found out that we can feed it in sow diets, so it's not taking all that production away from us, even though it's not true number to number one yellow corn or, or soybean meal. So I th if that market expands and grows by a percentage, it's surely going to impact the competition for those feedstuffs. And unfortunately, uh, our solution to that in the livestock business, especially in the cattle business, is we'll feed that cheaper wheat, except now that does not exist worldwide. So those alternatives are going to have to come from somewhere else. And there, there certainly are, especially for the cattle industry that can use a uh, larger diversity of feed products, but for the direct soybean meal, corn, 
uh, soybean diets through pork and poultry, uh, it can be pretty impactful and that will add to that cost of production, not only the cost of the transportation and the building costs, it's that one more element. And I think we, we're, we've been rewarded in the market. If you look at the markets today in pork, they've seen those increases. Beef has tailed that a little bit, even though we're at high demand for beef and high exports. There's a few challenges, you know, the beef industry. We, we've had a lot of discussions about packers making huge margins in the beef industry. That can only last so long. You can rob Peter to pay Paul so, so long and it'll stop. So I think what you have to take a look at is the European Union and the dependency that that market has on the Ukraine infrastructure, not just the wheat, but feeding the world. You know, there's livestock and protein pork production in Ukraine that are exported, that if those stop, and think about trying to process animals in war zones, and is the infrastructure there to come back and how fast it does. But I would say the European Union has a bigger dependency on that part of the world we're in that market, but if the pressure mounts in that neck of the world, uh, whether it's opportunity or pressure comes back to us in Brazil to fill that market and how do we do it as we elevate our cost of production. But, you know, the biodiesel industry and the renewable energy, if I could make uh, fuel a dollar cheaper, they can use all the ethanol they want because it benefits me and a lot of my livestock guys are grain guys that reap that benefit also. So um, it's a balancing act and, and uh, I'd also, you know, you think about our daily kills and things and we have to watch this and compare apples to apples, but sometimes we'll see, we might kill less animals, but we're killing heavier, heavier processing heavier animals. We see that in the cattle business when we look at average weekly weights, where they bring cattle ahead that are heavier cattle, they create a hole back in the market where they move cattle ahead because we needed those numbers. And the other go ongoing thing here in the U.S. that we should really keep a close eye on is the drought monitor. Uh, we've seen a lot of reduction in cow herds in the West, and I think it's inevitable we're going to see less cattle numbers because of that issue. We don't tend to see it in our back door here in Illinois because we're not one of those major players in cows, uh, but we've got some consuming markets here that it's going to show up pretty quickly. And it's hard to predict because that calf on the ground today, you know, he's a ways off from being marketed. And if he doesn't get on the ground today, uh, being calving season as it is right now, some of that ramification comes later. And I would say that's going to exist with all this unrest out there. This is going to have a long tail because when you kill infrastructure or kill production, uh, we got enough to feed us right now, but my guess is in time, down the road, into the next harvest season or even into the next year, depends on how the crisis continues, but it'll have a long tail that we're going to have to try to prepare for and see as we market. But uh, as a livestock guy, I don't say it a lot, but you know, renewable energy is good for this country and good for us. I think we can live through it, even though it does affect our cost of production, but uh, it's going to continue because we're going to need it here in this marketplace. Yeah, it, it could get worse. Uh, they're different. They, both corn and soybeans have some real uh, big plans or hopes. Soybeans, and, and I don't know the numbers, I don't know if Ron talked about some, but not very much, or maybe Doss, you know, but, but they're, they're trying to create new markets for soy oil 
and, and go huge increases in, in allowances per, per gallon of soil oil and blends. To the point in my mind, just listening to your numbers, I don't see how we could possibly grow enough, enough soybeans uh, to satisfy that demand. Uh, you know, and it's going to make a ton of meal, so we need, you know, maybe that will help you out. Uh, on the ethanol side, on the corn side, you can make a pretty good argument that if you go from, you can make a real good argument, if you go from E10 to E15, you maybe not solved, but made a huge dent in solving the, the energy crisis and, and lowering the prices in the United States. And kind of countering some of the Biden's administrations of, of just shutting oil production down. Uh, we could do a lot to, to fill that. That would you'd have to increase acres for corn there too. You create more DDGs, which is less desirable for the, for the hog guys. Uh, but we've been pushing it around the world too. Uh, China, when we first went into China with it, we had real great luck increasing it, and then after about four or five years, they kind of balked, and it's it's been a problem there. But we're getting it around the world. Uh, it's going a lot of places. Uh, just in trade in general, uh, one of the big Maybe little, but it's, it's been years coming. Is we finally got an in at the, with the U.S. Grains Council, getting an office in India. And India has been a very tough nut to crack as far as getting any U.S. U.S. products in there. They they are held on to this. We're going to be self-sufficient. Uh, I mean, I mean, it's taken probably 20 years to even get approval to put an office in there to, to be allowed to talk talk to market. So so there's a crack in the door over there for a huge market. Troy, do we have enough farmland to, to do all the things we would like to do here in the U.S., especially in Illinois specifically? Uh, yeah, I mean, we've, we've gotten pretty good at, at, you know, growing two corn plants where one used to grow before, and, and, and we're, we're continuing to do that. And uh, I, don't, I don't think, you know, availability of land is going to be an issue. I think over the next few years, in the, in the next couple of years in, in particular, our big challenge, you know, we talk about, ramping up production here or there or whatever you know we we've gotten pretty used to certain you know models and time frames where we can where, where the market can react and we can ramp up production we can scale down production um, with the supply chain challenges that we're having right now it's one thing to say we're going to ramp up production of, of whatever that commodity might be, but getting the inputs and, and, and getting everything in place to be able to do that in a, uh, you know, in the time frames that we're used to, I don't, I, I don't think that's, I think that's going to be a real challenge uh, over, the, over the next couple of years. We're still, um, you know, when you take a look at, at you know, the availability of, of fer fertilizers and, and a lot of the inputs that we need, uh, and, and it boils back down to natural gas, a lot of it as well, uh, and then you look at the situation at the ports, um, and, and even, you know, even in areas where we can get some of those products, getting them transported to where they need to be, uh, is a whole different ballgame right now. And, and so it's, it's a little bit concerning when you take a look at, at the supply chain challenges. Brendan? You knew I was going to come to you. You referred to this Friday as a potential challenge 2022, but also you were all the way into 2024. Yeah, I mean, I, I've sat in some meetings and, and webinars and things like that and talked with people from Growmark and different areas in the industry. I mean, my company right now, and I would pretty much say probably everybody is sitting really good for the 2022 crop. But, you know, we start September, basically starts a new year in my industry, as I've always looked at it for 2023, when you start with fertilizer and anhydrous ammonia and things like that. 
Um, there's a lot of what ifs. Um, and transportation, Troy brought a pretty good, pretty good point. I mean, last fall, my company, we own a lot of our own trucks and start hauling our own anhydrous because it's hard to find trucking companies to keep up with you. And uh, we were hauling it out of uh, Wood River, which is right across from St. Louis. I mean, we couldn't go across the river and get it out of, uh, uh, you know, Burlington and things like that because it just wasn't coming up. So we went farther and farther away to get it. And everybody's had to do the same thing in our business. And so with that, you know, we're gearing up and trying to make sure we have everything going in the next fall. But, you know, um, on-time delivery, which I brought this up on Friday, uh, that in the automobile industry, you know, they get a lot of their products as they need them, as they're doing their production that day, at 9 o'clock in the morning, we're going to get a whole load of fan belts. Well, it's kind of coming that way in the retail side right now. Um, we're going to be on-time delivery, and we can't have a hiccup. And, and, and that's especially on the chemical side, because we're being allowed allotments that we get a specific amount each month. And if we have a big month where we run real hard, um, it could be lacking for a while. Yeah, I'm, so. I'm hearing the phrase, just in time. Yeah, a lot it, it, when, yeah, when it comes to chemistry retail side yeah absolutely and and you know a lot of these a lot of these retailers typically you know that what what they're selling is they have in the warehouse you know on the floor right now and and in in that industry in, in the particularly in the crop protection industry right now what's being sold is not on the floor it's it's we're you know we're being told it's going to be there just in time um, but it's a, you know, and, and I think most people are fairly confident that, that it will be, but again, looking ahead and, and there's just a lot of uncertainty right there and it's a little bit, it's a little bit uh, unnerving. If you get the right weather, you could plant half the state's corn crop in 10 days, in a week? Yeah, I mean with the size of equipment we have now, I mean we've got high speed planters. Uh, you take a week of 70 degree weather, like if it was going to be today and it's April 15th, I mean, I, I know growers that can plant a lot of corn in a day. And with the size of the farms, not only are they plant corn, they're corn, planting soybeans at the same time. And so, and, and, and with a lot of retailers, you know, we're set up to where we can spray a lot of acres a day. But you can't cover corn as quick if I don't have products. Or, you know, it, it, it all is going to be that way. Um, it only takes one hiccup, you know, one, one, one truckload that didn't come in that was supposed to be here today, and they say, well, uh, maybe tomorrow or the next day, you know, and, and that very well happens. If, if it goes, though, if we have a two-month planting season, you know, if it goes tremendously spread out, that means some places you're spraying, some places you're fertilizing, you know, so from an operation standpoint, do you have a preference, one or the other? So if we're going to be spread out, I mean, um, that makes our on-time deliveries okay then because, you know, we're going to have plenty of it to just keep going through it's 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 where if it's going to be fast and furious over a two to three week period that's where it could run into a problem in my opinion mm -hmm. mike borzik with illinois pork producers the rebound for pork producers will be very significant into this year from what they had to deal with with covid not to mention our, our pork producing processing plants uh, have struggled 